Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls around the world, I have to say that because we are international, baby. This is the number one podcast for video game development, inside news, tips and information, and hilarious stories, Game Dev Unchained. I'm your host, Larry Charles, and of course, I couldn't get rid of him, my best friend, Mr. Brandfan. Hey, how are you guys doing this week? <laughs> <laughs> we have a special guest, uh, Naveen Nair. How are you doing? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? Doing well, man. Thanks for joining us on the podcast this week. We appreciate it. For sure. My pleasure. I mean, I'm a watcher of your po- I mean, listener of your podcast, and it's, uh, it's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I feel... I That's mean... our first fanboy guest, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's uh, we have a very interesting story for you guys this week, and I believe we're going with the indie slash startup survival guide coming straight to you from two people who've survived the indie slash startup experience. <laughs> so, uh, Naveen, I know him from, of course, uh, we work together currently <laughs> at Section Studios. He's our programmer, and uh, Naveen has a pretty interesting uh background so you kind of want to go through your resume uh, just to give the listeners a little um, context my resume huh yeah (laughs) um all right so um i'm gonna start all the way from back when i first started so i did my undergrad in computer science and then um i came to pittsburgh uh to uh, do a course at uh, this um, college called cmu uh, carnegie mellon Uh, it was like um, a game development kind of slash computer science course um, and that was, it was something I was always passionate about. I was like, okay, you know, I, I love making stuff, uh, programming stuff, but games are really what I was, uh, passionate about. I wanted that to be my future. Mm. And, um, you know, being from abroad, uh, that was kind of my gateway into America and pretty much California where everything was happening. So, uh, I did this two year course, uh, while I was there, I did a couple of internships, um, I worked for a studio called SimOps first. Uh, they were making like uh, a game engine, kind of similar to Unity, but more focused on the web. Okay. Um, unfortunately, they kind of got out, um, out-developed by Unity, I, I would say. Uh, yeah. um, and they kind of went out of business. But that was my first failing startup thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Your that- first? <laughs> like, there's more. <laughs> there are many more. Keep going, keep going. Um, yeah, following that, um, I worked at a studio called Silver Tree Media. Uh, it was a cool studio. It started as an art house, and uh, they started. They wanted to do games, and um, started out as an intern, and then kind of worked uh, my last semester uh, there more full time uh, as a co-op. Um, unfortunately, they were in Pittsburgh, and they had a hard time getting funding. Mm. So uh, they they finished a couple games. Uh, they were doing okay, but to really um, take it to the next level, they had to move out. So um, they moved to Palo Alto. And at that point, I was like, mm, you know what? seems like everything's uh, moving to California. It was kind of uh, the beginning of the recession 
um, around 2010. Okay. And um, thought like a great, uh, it was a good decision to come over to LA. And <clears throat> at that time, um, I had actually, uh, I was kind of midway through my interview process uh, with Riot, oh, uh, nice. League of Legends stuff. Uh, that was kind of when League of Legends was still in their beta, kind of just starting out. Oh, and, um, man. This one hurts already. It's hurting me. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, in my final interview, and I thought I did pretty well, uh, mm. but I guess they went with someone else. Um, so, But uh, luckily for me, I had uh, another offer from a startup. And uh, I, wasn't, I, I was okay working in AAA or startups, but... Uh, you know, it was just there, and uh, I was like, okay, this is in L.A., and uh, I decided to move out and, you know, give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was Codename Games, and they were in downtown L.A. Uh, they were just starting out. They had um, won some contest in which uh, Sony had uh, liked a pitch of theirs and um, to given them access to their dev kits uh, for a bunch of PlayStation home games. Okay. <laughs> and um, so, yeah. So that's where it all started. Like uh, it was four of us. I was the only programmer. Uh, there was one generalist artist. Uh, there was a designer, producer, and uh, like a couple of financial guys uh, and the boss. It's <laughs> and always a designer producer hybrid. <laughs> I feel yeah. like you guys. This is dangerous territory, <laughs> but, but man. She, but she was she was good though. Uh, I actually yeah. really liked working with her, and she was a good, she was a way better designer too. Uh, yeah. than I expected, so it, it was great. <laughs> Wait, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? I, know, I hope it's not it's, a sexist remark. No, no, no. It's, it's not sexist. I, I guess uh, coming from school, I'd not really worked with designers, uh, with designers before, yeah. and uh, so she was like the first really good designer uh, I worked with. Oh, I see. And, so and I yeah. have a question. So you, you kind of took like an interesting, you took two divergent paths, right? You wanted to become a, a programmer. You went to a really good school. Mm-hmm. As we know, most programmers look at uh, either becoming a programmer at a, like a Silicon Valley company yeah. or the game company, right? Mm-hmm. So the game company programmer is already like a niche thing. And besides that, though, you, go, you went into the, the, the indie programmer route too. Yeah. So like, you know, going back to your first experience, um, <sighs> How was your first startup? Like, um, was it was it your first job while you were going to school or after you graduated? Um, it was my first job. Uh, right. Are, are you talking about SimOps or uh, yeah? Code? Oh, SimOps was more like an internship, um, and it was a pretty small studio. They had about eight people, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and it was mostly programmers really over there uh, because they were developing a game engine. Right, that makes sense. And, um, yeah. I mean, at that time, I was kind of young, inexperienced, uh, you know, um, I liked making games, but I didn't know as much about, like, game engine stuff, right. so um, it, it was just me trying to learn as much as I could, and, you know, I, I love the aspect of just game engine development, too, so yeah. um, for me, it was uh, it was an amazing experience working for all these people who have been in the industry for a while. Yeah. I mean, we we always come across like programmers, and almost a hundred percent of them are in the industry because they love games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're way higher paying jobs with better work hours and perks. Um, 
but you know <laughs> that list um, went on a pretty long <laughs> i mean i'm sure most programmers know this but uh yeah. you know you do it because you're passionate about games and yeah. you got one life and you want to do what what's know, fun now before you got your first job in the industry were there any companies or any projects that you're like yeah man i want to make games because of this like this is the reason why i'm going into it well, I mean, I, I definitely had my fanboy games. Uh, like uh, a lot of Blizzard games was pretty much why I got in, like Warcraft Three and Diablo okay. Two. Uh, you know, much more the hardcore kind of PC games mm -hmm. uh, was what got me into it. Mm -hmm. um, but the more uh, I feel, the more the more years I spend in the game industry and the more games I've exposed myself to, mm -hmm. um, I I like a lot of genres of games and just. Um, a lot of indie games experiment a lot mm -hmm. um, with different kinds of uh, genres or different styles of play, a lot of cool like gameplay techniques mm -hmm. uh, and game design um, kind of methods. Mm -hmm. and, uh, that stuff really excites me and uh, you know keeps the flow in when I play and that, that's, that's more what I lean, lean towards nowadays. Oh, very nice. If you can, if you can hark back to yourself, back from the beginning, and say something to that guy, you know, either a warning or, or anything, what would you say? <laughs> or even it could be beneficial, or or just as is. Um, I guess I would say, don't be afraid, uh, and don't be um, don't be worried that uh, you're not getting the dream job like a, a lot of uh, people like in my batch one due to the recession uh second we were in pittsburgh and then a lot of times uh people would say like you know maybe you guys are not good enough coming out of school there are a lot oh. of people who are already experienced who want these jobs especially for internships in like blizzard and a couple other places um and a lot of people who come out of school think you know i got to get into these triple a companies and that's pretty much it like that's my whole goal, but there's so much out there um, where you know, like smaller companies, where you can learn so much more about game development. Um, now, this is my experience. I haven't really worked too much in AAA, so um, I, I feel like uh, joining smaller companies, you get to work on all these different disciplines of programming, mm -hmm. um, and you have a lot more responsibility and a lot more. You got to get this done, or the company is not going to succeed. So it really pushes you to uh, to be the best version of yourself. And like you're, of course, speaking about this as a as a person who who graduated at the same time as his friends. Like uh, I remember we had a conversation about that a while back. Maybe you can expand on that. Like uh, you know, Larry and I mostly have a background in AAA, mm -hmm. so we definitely kind of base our whole podcast on that. <laughs> <laughs> But like, you know, <laughs> listeners, long-time listeners know how we feel about that. And we would love to hear more about, like, from your side, at least, the programmer track. You know, how, how are your friends doing who, who graduated, went into AAA? And skill-wise, you know, measure of happiness or, or things like that. Like, basically yourself, if you went that route, what would that, what is that? Um, that's kind of hard to say. Uh, I think a lot of it determines on de is determined by the kind of person you are. Mm -hmm. So um, you know you could be happy wherever you are based on what you need to be happy with. 
this sounds all philosophical, but uh, <laughs> it's true. It's really true. Like, for example, like I, I might have been happy in AAA if I, you know, I, I have like a, like when I go home a lot of times, like I work on side projects and I always have like a couple of side projects um, going. And so when I go to work, if something upsets me at work or I'm not as passionate about the work project or uh, whatever, I, I always know I can go back home and work on my side projects and that keeps me happy. So like creatively, I'm always happy that way. Mm-hmm. So that's whether, a good idea, you yeah, know, to have at least something that you can tinker with, get your creative expression and potentially sell one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> who knows? I don't know if that's your plan or not. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I, I'd love to sell it, but that's not why I do it. Yeah. 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 So like, um, well, how do you feel like as your growth as a programmer, um, you feel like you take like uh you mentioned that you take a lot of more responsibilities right at smaller companies and that that comes with the category uh, with the territory. I mean, you're always gonna wear more hats yep. when when there's less people. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know too much about how programming <coughs> is at bigger companies, but I can imagine it's maybe smaller responsibilities. Uh, um, I I wouldn't say smaller. Um. That seems like a little more uh, more of a demeaning word, but yeah. um, I would say like you're more focused on one thing. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. could probably perfect that one thing in AAA. Like you might be the character controller guy or the camera guy, uh, or maybe the AI guy, and you know you work in that for a couple of years, and like now you might become a specialist in that. Um, on the more startup route, you may not have the time or the luxury to focus on one category. And so you kind of have to do a little bit of the graphics, some AI, um, you know, the UI, the sound, like all, all that stuff. And you need to make sure the game still ships, mm-hmm. right? So um, your attention is kind of divided. I mean, you're, you're multitasking a lot more, so you can't really focus on perfecting one skill. Right. So let me jump in then. If you're spending a lot of time multitasking, especially as an engineer, I'm imagining you're touching different parts of the code often, you know, um, did you ever just open up somebody's file and just look around and say, "Oh my God, like what are you doing here?" <laughs> um, earlier, I did not, but now I actually do that much more because uh, I, I guess I, I used to make the same mistakes. Okay, so one of the things I um, I feel um, should be mentioned is when you're, especially when you start off earlier on and um, you're doing the startup route, you don't have you may or may not have someone to advise you mm-hmm. or to show you better ways of doing things. So unless you're the type of person who always goes out and tries to, you know, to find whether you're doing the right thing or not, you might stick to the same mistakes you've done for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky in that way because it's hard to find, some, uh, find a lot of knowledge on like whether something's being done right unless someone tells you you're doing it wrong in the first place. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second company I worked in after Codename Games, uh, they had a lot of like senior programmers, and they were really good. And they taught me a lot about like just the reason to keep code clean or like to architect something so that it's scalable um, for expansions or you know uh, for going and fixing bugs later and stuff like that. So after I worked there, like I'm much more critical about being uh, organized about the code, I guess. Yeah, I always imagine, you know, when I think about lots of engineers working together, and I'm friends with a lot of engineers, I see different personality types, some guys very meticulous, some girls maybe not, or, you know, and I'm just kind of just throwing examples <coughs> out there. 
But then I think about it, I was like, and all their code needs to work together. <laughs> you know, so it's like, some people don't comment. Some people just expect you to know. You know, it's like yeah, that's why um, usually engineering teams uh, have a stricter um, kind of set of guidelines for uh, newer people coming in. Or usually, the the guy who's leading the project uh, puts in a set of uh, of guidelines so that uh, you know if people do follow it, uh, there's some kind of consistency uh, with which the game's made, I guess. Yeah. Thank God for that. (laughs) (laughs) I I have a question uh, that I want to ask you. So there's one thing that I've noticed about programmers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so nervous for whatever this is. (laughs) Well, this is a nice comment. I mean, you guys are more of the quieter types. I mean, we still have to work together. Yeah, yeah. We still have to work together and everything. But I'm just... But I'm just saying, like, uh, you know, there's this one story, right, at a certain company I've had. So it, it was, like, more like a, a company meeting, right? It's, like, company etiquette when it comes to interviewing people. So, like, all the disciplines was in one room, and the HR person was going through, you know, certain rules and etiquettes that you should display. And uh, the artists went through their process, right? All right, during the interview process, usually artists is 50% of the work, and then 50% of the personality, right? Yep. So once, the, once we okay the work, obviously we bring them in, and a lot of it is how do they behave? Like, can I work with this guy? Mm-hmm. Is he competent, and is he fun to hang out with? The programmer is sitting through this. Like, the whole engineering team is like, why? Why does it matter? Can he do the work <laughs> or not? Because their attitude is like, it, it's so everything is so factual with what an engineer does. And for a person to be... Like a funny guy does not matter. So how how much of that have you experienced? Where is it consistent, or is it just something out of that? My my experience is that what I <laughs> should expect. Um, I do know that a lot of programming, like with art, at least uh, this is my uh, view of it. With art, there's a lot more you can show online. So yeah. uh, you know, the, you can pretty much determine whether someone's good or not just from their portfolio or like they're real. Um, but with programming, it's, it's a little harder to say um, because everything's kind of either NDA'd and locked in and you can't really show work that you've worked on uh, or, you know, you're not sure how much help someone's got uh, or whether mm-hmm. they did it by themselves, That's right? So the, some of the tests are a little more rigorous. And so uh, there's a bit of a, I would say 75% of, of a test would be how good are you or like can you solve the problem we're hiring you to solve Mm -hmm. and 25 percent is uh you know at least uh when i'm hiring someone is like can i work with you um will you be able to um to logically evaluate whether something's right or wrong without having personal opinions or ego-based opinions on Mm. uh that's really important for me um and even that section, like we have the same uh, thing. Like when we hire people, we're like, ego is a big problem. And we don't, you know, you, if you can be critical, um, it, it's a huge bonus. Yeah. What, what's a program with the ego? Because that sounds like a personality. <laughs> um, <laughs> no well, offense. <laughs> it's, it's basically someone who, um, who believes that their way of doing things is right. Right. Um, and they may or may not have reasons for it. 
uh, they might say, okay, I've done this all these years of my life and I know it works and it's worked in a previous game I've shipped. And uh-huh. so uh, this is the only way I want to try it. Right. Um, there are reasons why they do that. Like may- maybe there are time constraints and he doesn't want to try something new. But for me, it's always like, you know, if you if you don't evaluate all your options, uh, you know, with a more biased view, like you may not find the right solution mm. a lot of times. Does that happen often during a test? Someone just oh, up? not not during a test. It's just okay. uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to find that um, kind of behavior or evaluate someone for that kind of behavior. But uh, you could talk to them uh, and talk about like their approach to solving something, mm-hmm. and you might get that behavior out. Uh, so now, startup wise, <laughs> sometimes you don't have access to top level engineers or top level artists or designers. And in my experience, I've, I've worked on some kind of ragtag teams, you know, and still you have deadlines that you need to achieve or, or submissions that you need to send out. Have you, do you have any advice or, I guess, sage wisdom for people who are a rock star at a small studio? Because something that I noticed was if you work too hard and you, you work very well, you get more responsibilities. And I... The reason I ask this is because... Are you saying more responsibility is a bad thing? No. So, like, we have five engineers, right? <coughs> yeah. And the studio says, all right, I need all five of you guys to work very hard and get your stuff done. And then one out of five is working at maybe 70% capacity. And then the other four have to then make up for that guy slacking in order to make the deadline on time. Yep. I've uh, definitely been in that situation before. Like a, a couple of times, you know, like, uh, you know, like two of us would stay back and work the entire night while other people have commitments or, you know, whatever. Like they're not as invested in in this because they either joined much later in the project or like they have other things that they're more passionate about. Oh, um, and, you know, sometimes it's hard. But uh, in the end, you know, if something doesn't ship, then all this time you've spent working on it is kind of wasted. Mm-hmm. So you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Yeah, that's uh I had a personal beef, you know, at a startup company and I I asked people those kinds of questions because I just wanted to see like how did I handle it? Was I good? Was I bad? <laughs> Cuz oh man, I remember I had to take over a document from somebody who had uh I'll just say exited the company and they were kind of running the show, right? And so I'm like, "Oh yeah, he's doing this thing. Yeah, everything's great." And then they're like, hey, Larry, you know, we need you to do this document because it wasn't finished when the person left. So I'm like, okay, cool, no problem. I open it up. This is the game design document, right, for a video game. Yeah. It was six pages. <laughs> and I'm I'm talking about like a, a Xbox uh, 360 <laughs> PS3 downloadable game. Six, yeah. The enti- all the rules, all the mechanics, all the features – Six page, and I like I I hit. The was it in page. really small font? <laughs> I'm actually impressed by that. First of all, it's a startup, right? How the hell did he not get noticed? <laughs> Getting away with six pages this whole time. Oh man, I'll never that's a clean hit, that. man. That's I'll, a clean hit. I'll never forget that day. Well, I mean, I don't know though. Uh, I feel like with game design documents, a lot of times uh, it's thrown away. Uh, yeah, it's not thrown away. Like things change a lot during game development, yeah. and so like um, I think game design documents itself being like you know this is exactly what you got to follow. 
um, is an older way of doing things. Like things are more, much more iterative nowadays. Um, I, I'm not sure about that situation which you're talking about. No, no, but... I, look, I'll, I'll <laughs> agree with you, man. Says, go ahead that, and the way that games it. are designed these days, especially, you know, there is a lot of iteration, but it, you at least have a target yeah. that you're going for. You don't start day one like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, hey, we're going to make a brawler, we're going to make a shooter, we're going to make a, here's the story, you know, yeah. here are the mechanics, here's what we're thinking, here's what the engineers are going to be building today. Sure, yeah. a meeting, like, down the line may change something in the book, but you got to have, you got to have, have at least a guideline. A vision, yeah. Yeah. Because especially as team grows, you know, you need a singular vision to, to for everyone to hark back, unless you have that one guy who's always there answering questions. Yeah. So... Definitely, definitely game design talks are good, but definitely not definite. <laughs> yeah. Actually, a lot of times in startups, uh, there isn't as much pre-production time. So you're kind of designing while you're making. Uh, so, you know, like the designer is coming up with ideas, but at the same time, like, you know, you got to hit these milestones. Yeah. And so um, uh, as a gameplay programmer, I'm pretty much like before he even writes, he or she writes down what they want. Like they'll talk to me about it and I'll start building stuff in the anticipation that, you know, things <laughs> might change. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so. All right. So let's give <laughs> some of the people out there some non programming related tidbits and information. Okay. If I was going into a startup, right? No, no experience in the world of being at a startup game developer, can you give me the top three things that you would say are good things about potentially going to a startup game company? All right. Um, you'll definitely learn a lot about game development. Um, you'll get to, I guess, experience uh, pretty much every field of making the game, mm. uh, from sound design to initial pre-production all the way to... Um, you know, grinding to get it done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you'll touch a little bit, especially as a programmer, you'll touch a little bit of the AI, the UI, um, the gameplay, and all that stuff. All right. Now, you know, obviously, <laughs> that first question was the alley-oop for the slam dunk. What are the three <laughs> bad things about potentially going to a startup video game development company? Um, financially, you're taking a risk. Uh, and hey, you know man. this this may or may not affect your family depends on the kind of situation you're in mm. uh, but with startups you're always taking a risk because um, especially if it's a complete startup like starting from scratch like they usually don't have enough funding and they're banking on their first title being a success mm. um, and so uh, they may or may not give you stocks depending on your negotiation process when you when you got hired uh, but if you do get in and you have stocks, this is something I, I learned much, uh, much later in my career. And I was like, yeah. man, I wish I knew this sooner. <laughs> well, well but, let's uh, talk. Yeah, I, I think you're about <laughs> to go into it. But let's, yeah, the negotiation stage, right? Uh, you know, startups pay you lesser and give you stocks so that when <laughs> they do succeed, you know, you can kind of make up the the lost financials. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But you know right out of school and stuff you may not know these things and so uh you join a startup and like they may not pay you enough and uh you know you're, you're taking a lot more risk than you think you are yep. <laughs> so what 
what what are the words so like stocks like is it always bad then if they start throwing that as part of your salary well, here, here's the best way here's the best way have you ever been offered stock that you're able to cash in <laughs> has that promise ever been well, fulfilled this put uh, this podcast getting real huh <laughs> this is you uh, have to say the not, amount not by yet, the way not yet okay. um yeah, I, I mean, I, I was in a different situation too because I'm I'm actually not an American, right? I, I'm uh, in the process for a green card and stuff like that. So okay. it's harder for me to negotiate some of these things because a lot of times they're like, um, you know, you know what? We'd rather do your green card process and stuff like that rather than you know take a risk on uh, giving you stocks or or whatever. And it's easier for me to negotiate that stuff in salary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it depends on how much they want me and how much they need me. Like uh, my current company, um, uh, it was a great time—a great time for me to like leave my previous place. And you know, they really needed me to get something done before E3, mm-hmm. so uh, it worked out pretty well. Right. But um, in previous times, like uh, when Rebel, where I worked in, uh, shut down, I didn't have too much time uh, before I could find my next job. So I was kind of um, I guess in a more vulnerable position on the negotiation side, finding a new job. Yeah, that's that's the hard <laughs> part, man. Is you know that going to a startup company is obviously a little more risky. Yeah, uh, they are not going to be paying you as well as you should, and they promise stock, which at the present state, let's say going all the way in, is just paper and a pipe dream. <laughs> and knowing that it's risky, knowing that you're not getting paid as much cash as you would like. You also have to consider saving money in the event that it doesn't work out. Exactly. Yeah. And where does that savings come from when you're already getting scraps? You know. <laughs> well, uh, a lot of times you could do it by doing some contracting on the side. Okay. Right. Um, you could uh, maybe do an indie game, which which does well. Uh, it's getting much harder nowadays to do something like that, uh, mostly because of the market being saturated, yes. and uh, you need a lot more marketing money. To get your game to be seen, yes, yeah, uh, but that's definitely one way to go. And uh, even even a lot of people who do indie games um, for a living uh, do that, like do a lot of contracting. Uh, they, you know, you you never hear about this uh, because when a game does well, they don't really speak about how much contracting they did during the development of the game. But mm. um, you know, they do a lot of that stuff too. Yeah, there's a lot of people that think Ravio only made Angry Birds. <laughs> No, like, probably not. They just woke up one day and said, "Hey, <laughs> Angry Birds, let's do it." So, yeah. this thing that you, uh, you you mentioned that you have side projects that you usually do. Is that something that you developed after all these startups, or was it always something you did? You know, when you graduated. Um. Yeah, I, I've always done it uh, on the side, but I never really uh, like put as much work into it till I guess a couple of years back uh, mm-hmm. when I made it part of my schedule or like part of my life uh, be like okay this year I have to finish this game and like you know I schedule time in so that I can mm-hmm. um, but yeah what's the reason for that jump start was it just suddenly <laughs> I guess I was getting older I was close, <laughs> closing in on 30 and I was like I, I feel like that's I everybody really, <laughs> I really haven't achieved much in my life <laughs> I think um, every developer at 30 <laughs> starts having those questions. Yeah, um, that was one of the reasons. Uh, the second was um, with a lot of games uh, and, you know, 
professional game development, you, uh, there's less risk being taken. So like you, you wouldn't want to risk something on like a cool new game design idea or like something um, that you're passionate about. But the market will tell you that, uh, you know, the market history shows that that's not done really well. Uh, and I don't want those kind of games to die. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, those are things I still want to make. So yeah. this is the only way those kind of things get made. So, like, right now, the biggest thing, and Larry and I talked about the subject a lot, is the VR thing. Like, yep. is that huge uh, in the programming community? Is that something that you guys... Is, is doing something VR any more different than programming for any other game? When it comes uh-huh. to especially a startup or, or doing your own thing? I mean, VR is just uh, another platform, at least in my view. It's like a slightly harder platform to develop for because it has a bunch of restrictions, things like people get motion sickness. Um, it's kind of hard to get dev kits, and it's expensive. There's like a lack of audience right now. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I love VR stuff, and... Uh, you know, uh, one of the reasons I even got into game development was because I had these cool VR experiences at Disney World when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I just feel like it's one of those really niche platforms. And, uh, you know, as an indie person developing for it, you have <clears throat> you have the advantage that not many big game developers are focusing on it right now. So you can shine uh, or stand out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, like it's a much much more niche platform and there's less people who might eventually buy your game. Yeah, I I mean, when Oculus says, hey, 599 bucks, <laughs> if we can take a moment. The first thing I thought was the dev kit was like 300, right? Yeah, like, yep, the dev kit. What was happened? <laughs> well, uh, I, I guess... They added on stuff. Yeah, there's like manufacturing cost and, uh, you know, all that stuff. And Well, they made it better. It just makes right? me laugh, though, because it's like... <laughs> It's hey, a big change. Thanks to the Facebook acquisition, you know, we have access to bigger and better materials, <laughs> yeah. manufacturing processes, no. partnerships, <laughs> and the retail price is double. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, is, man. it is kind of uh, weird that, you know, it is another console, yeah. but it's almost double like the consoles that are out in the market right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, unless someone's really passionate about VR uh, and VR games, like it's going to be a hard sell. In my opinion, yeah. I mean, how much do you feel that that is greed, but or necessary cause? Of, of course, they're backed by FB. They can always, I mean, uh, Facebook, and they they can <laughs> always take a hit. Yeah. And of course, they didn't. Yeah. So, how much is that really because of the material cost or whatever upgrades they put in? Uh, I mean, I I don't have the knowledge to answer that yeah. question, but um, I, I'm guessing that you know maybe being part of Facebook, they probably need to show a profit soon. And so uh, maybe their estimates for when they would be profitable weren't, you know. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're like, okay, we we are a pretty niche market. If there's going to be less people who are going to buy this, like maybe we should price it a little more. Well, they did sell out, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, good for them. I hope VR doesn't die. I don't I think, think so. I'm just waiting to see <clears throat> people who are not game developers who buy the Oculus. Right. right now, all the people I know who are excited about it are people I see at work, right? And yeah, granted, I mean, you know, I, we're obviously see, the game industry, but I, I could see a bunch of like rich Silicon Valley geeks mm-hmm. buying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
but yeah, yeah I, I think it's like any other platform. Like you're you're searching for that killer app yeah. or like that amazing experience which you can't get anywhere else. And like now it's on Oculus. You're yeah. like, okay, I want to buy it for that experience which I can't get anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Well, then maybe that's my answer right there. The reason why I haven't seen it cross over out of the game industry is because the people who would be interested in that thing don't have the thing to be interested in yet. Yeah. Because and good. Yeah, and it's not only games, right? Maybe maybe it could be like this cool 3D, uh, you yeah. know, VR video or interactive experience. Like I, I know a couple of my friends who are actually working in companies doing uh, a lot of like, you know, let artists create a VR experience in like Maya mm-hmm. and have it be exported um, for Oculus and any other VR device. Um, and, you know, there are people trying things like that. So I would say like don't just think of games as like the only... Well, I, I go right into, you know, architectural uh, previs. Uh, now it's even better where it's like, hey, walk through your own home, you know. Quote yeah. Unquote. That could be really interesting where I would see, you know, a lot of real estate houses who are saying, hey, I know you can't make it out to this viewing, but I've downloaded, you know, uh, all six of the houses I wanted to show you. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, that's, really that's pretty amazing. Like, like, say you were out of state or something and you yeah. wanted to buy a house in L.A., and like you know, you don't want to drive here looking at houses every time. Like this would be amazing for like you know, like a, a real walkthrough and mm-hmm. to see things. Yeah, press R for reload. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. So okay, let's bring it back into uh, startup and indie uh, game development. Do you think tools like these, these niche platforms that don't have the huge adoption rate yet, provide good opportunities for small studios to make a mark, or do you think? Because the market is actually so small, because the customer base is so small, it's actually a risk. Or just how do you feel in general about that idea? Um, I think absolutely. Like these new platforms should be where a lot of indies um, kind of focus on, mm-hmm. uh, because people haven't it ha- they haven't been proven yet. And you know, just think of like Angry Birds when they first came out, right? Like iOS games were like really just starting out at that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have that first hit and uh, you realize, like, you know, holy shit, there's so many people who want to play this game. And, like, you know, that's when... uh, And then it took a couple years before everyone else caught up and, you know, Blizzard released, like, Hearthstone and, like, all these bigger companies are kind of trying to chime in right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But till those... For those couple of years, you're kind of dominating the market right there. So it's a great place to, like, grow as a company, I guess. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Brandon. We're going to get to work on our Oculus game, dude. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> so where do you feel like some of the best opportunities to work or to exist, you know, as a uh, independent or a smaller studio? I guess, are there any untapped digital marketplaces like, hey, you know what? I don't see a lot of this type of game anymore or... You know, I don't see a lot of this type of experience anymore. So maybe someone could strike it rich there because I'm I'm looking for options here. You're helping me. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I wish if I knew that answer, I'd be probably working on it right now. <laughs> but well, that's fair, uh, enough, fair enough. I would say, like in the mobile space, um, especially in um, um, at least in North America and like iOS and stuff, I feel like this there might be. Um, some space for more core games mm. like you know there's there's a lot of casual casual games and they do really well and then there's a lot of like core games but 
those games are like like Clash of Clans core, mm-hmm. but I feel like a lot of uh, gamers from PC and stuff, uh, now that tablets and uh, phones are coming up, uh, getting way better with graphics, mm-hmm. um, you know, they might actually spend some money to play something which is really cool, but you can only get it on uh, on a tablet. Yeah, like kind of expanding on that. Yeah, you, you're reaching a good point. I bet you if you had an iPad right now, Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know the technical aspects very well, right? But So I could be putting myself on a limb and being completely wrong. But I bet you my iPad could produce better graphical experiences than the original Xbox or the original PlayStation uh, 2, I think they went head-to-head. Yeah, now uh, at least comparable experiences. The only issue I find is it's pretty much with like... Um, so I work in Unity a lot. Okay. And I feel like Unity had that same problem with like catching up with Unreal, mm-hmm. which is its main competitor. Yeah. Right. Um, and the problem is the people who create those really great experiences, um, like it doesn't matter what platform it, it is as much. Like mm-hmm. they they can create it. They're you know they've worked in console for a while. They can create that high end art and yeah. you know the high frame rate games and stuff like that. Um, if those people move over more towards like iPad stuff and they focus on that, I'm sure they can create the same compelling experience yes. that was there. So <clears throat> tying what you just said into the point I'm going to make is my iPad weighs one fortieth of what the Xbox weighed. You know what I mean? So like yeah. I'm now saying to myself, like is if I have a Bluetooth <laughs> controller, I have a whole game console and screen on the go, you know? Yeah. So I don't know why we're not seeing more core games. You know, I, it's I'm I mean, just waiting. How many more years? I and mean, we know we're gonna it, one one day it's gonna eclipse. But how many more years till the iPad is stronger than the consoles that's coming out? I think it's an issue of uh, more than just the iPad and console thing. I think it's an issue of growing up with something. Mm. So like you know, um, as kids, you grow up with consoles and like you the couch experience of like the big screen TV and you're sitting on a couch playing with these controllers with your friends or like, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not sure if kids nowadays, like all the kids growing up in this generation will have the same experience because um, kids nowadays, like they grow up with these iPads and like, you know, their life is so digital. Yeah. Like, uh, and maybe they don't have the same attention span as, uh, you know, we did to, to sit and play 40 hour games. Like maybe they're like, okay, we're going to play a game for a little bit and then switch to the next game. Yeah. Or like, you know, go do something else and then come back to the game. Like those kind of experiences are much more tuned to mobile or like tablets and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a that's a sad <laughs> truth, but it's one that I'm having to accept every day is that like, you know, what we did, what we enjoyed may not be appreciated, loved and enjoyed by the people <laughs> coming after us. So, yeah, you know. I mean, I think it, there will always be a segment of people, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it's going to be in, the old geezers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like certain certain fashion statements or like certain uh, books like always have like a fan following. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be like a much smaller crowd while uh, the majority of people might like. I'm already that. seeing it, dude. Every time I go on a train, I see a kid playing a game I never even <laughs> heard about. But it's on everyone's phone. It's like, man. Yeah, I know. Am I out of that loop already, dude? <laughs> I have no idea what he's playing. I hate to tell you, Brandon, but welcome to the club. I know, dude. Oh man. No, yeah. I mean, that's, but but that's reality, right? I mean, but that's that's, just, that's, that's the thing with the like. I follow all the the same 
you know, the news uh, <coughs> outlets, right? The, the, yeah. the same online, I, I follow Kotaku, I follow Polygon, for which I think is like the latest trends, yeah. right? But those majorities are covering AAA and the bigger games that we grew up with. So, like, uh, actually, all these very it, it, popular games don't really get covered too much, at least in those outlets. It's, like, an, another... Yeah, but those I don't outlets, even know the website. <laughs> those outlets are catering to people like us or, like, yeah. uh, Dying who, out. who are looking for those things. Like, we are their audience, right? So, but if you look at, like, younger people, like, even some people in our studio, uh, like, when I talk to them about, like, how, how they find out about new games, like, they don't ever go to... Um, yeah, like, it's all YouTube. It's basically like okay, I, I find like these websites which which show me like the game of the week or like you know the best five Android games of the month or like best five iOS games, um, and that's how they keep track of it. Or Twitch, like I, I've never got into Twitch as much, but it's huge now. Oh, dude, it's so crazy, man! Like, there's some kind of like Mario, like hardcore uh, Mario Maker. Like, yeah, no, not Mario. Well, someone there's yeah. like like some kind of contest this week, right? It's not making the levels, but playing through really hard levels. Yes, yeah. But uh, it's it had like 180 thousand views live, <laughs> that was streaming all week, 24 yeah. seven. I never heard of the event. I'm like, where the fuck was I? <laughs> <laughs> no, when it's it's happen? amazing that people can make their career making content on YouTube nowadays, right? I know. I've completely. <laughs> Or it, the wrong thing. <laughs> and we might we might have even said this before, but I love reintroducing it because you know who who can't resist a nan and a boo boo every now and then. Yeah. There's some people making millions of dollars <laughs> playing video games, oh my God, <laughs> not no. even making them. Why are they <laughs> skipping us? When is it our turn? <laughs> like PewDiePie, or yeah, yeah. you know, um, one day we got it so all that like all those parents and teachers who looked at us and said there's no future in this it's our parents fault not only were they wrong about us making it as a developer they were yeah. even more wrong because playing it is for some people even more profitable yeah and and like you know but but i don't blame them it's the same thing like you guys are experiencing or or i experience where i don't really understand some of the the younger generation culture mm-hmm. because I'm not so immersed in it. So mm-hmm. how can you make a decision of what's going to do well or what's popular unless you're really immersed and you know exactly what's going on? Mm-hmm. And what's... that deflates all of my dreams of releasing <laughs> my indie games because I just acknowledge the fact that we're on the other side of the fence. We are. Well, <laughs> well think about this, right? You're, you're touching on a very, very interesting point that you just made me realize. Like, our crown is always chasing the next biggest high graphics to reality. Mm. And you look at these kids, and they're playing, like, the NES era of our games. Like, like the the, the 2D bits. And those are the ones that are going trendy. Like, those are the big games nowadays. They're chasing fun for the sake of fun. because That's good. Yeah. That's awesome. Like, because then (laughs) they respect games like Pitfall, Pong. Yeah. Right alongside of a game like you know, uh, Uncharted 3, you know, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's, I'm glad that kids can... I was but worried appreciate. about that. Yeah, you know, yeah. That, that, like... but I, I don't know if a lot of that is also because the audience of people who play games now mm-hmm. is much larger. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe people always like those kind of games, but, like, the audience was much smaller and so and less visible, so, like, you never heard about them. Yeah, 
because everyone has a communication device, but if you look back 10 <laughs> years, you know, if you wanted to play games on the go, you had to have a Game Boy or one of those yeah. uh, Game Boy Advances, Tiger Electronic thing. Like, that's even 20 years back, but yeah. you know what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. now gaming is so accessible. Your yeah. computer, your phone, your television, yeah. even your iPad, your your device that's supposed to allow you to just watch TV <laughs> is now a gaming console. You know, exactly. so, yeah. also uh, as a kid, like you know, when you ask your parents, "I want to buy a gaming console. I want to buy a PSP." Oh lord, they, I'm, I'm sure they'd be way more hesitant than I need a phone, mom. Mm-hmm. And I oh know. yeah, there are a whole bunch of games. Okay, I guess that's a perk. But yeah. the main reason you're getting it for the kid is because they need a phone. Yeah. Yeah. Kids these days don't know the struggle of trying to get a Game Boy game on your TI-83 calculator. <laughs> they don't know. They don't know. What is that? Maybe well, I'm funny, man. myself, but I... <laughs> no, it's true, though. Like, parents are more easily convinced to buy a $600 device than way back when we wanted, like, a Nintendo for $200. It's true. I mean, it's multi-usage of a phone is, you know, you can't argue against that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, most kids use it for, for games anyways. <laughs> Probably. Well, uh, I hate to break up the happy, nostalgic, reminiscent story. We are past 45 minutes into the podcast. Let's just take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with more Game Dev Unchained, the podcast. Do-do-do-do. Are you trying to get into the game industry and need some assistance from professionals who actually work in the game industry? Well, please visit GameSchoolOnline.com and reserve a scholar today. Our scholars are currently working professionals who are available weekly to go over assignments, review portfolios, and demo reels whenever you may need. The best way to get a job at any game company is to know someone who already works there. Find a scholar today at www.GameSchoolOnline.com. And welcome back. Hope you had a nice little commercial. It was great, wasn't it? This is Game Dev Unchained, the podcast. Larry Charles speaking. And we are going to go right back into it because this is the golden hour. And by golden hour, I mean 15 minutes. <laughs> this All is right. where... Oh, go ahead, Brandon. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, so this is where we come in and we, we ask the tidbits that you listeners want to hear about that you can apply to your life right now. Mm-hmm. So Naveen, as a startup expert... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's two types. <laughs> uh, there's two two types of people, right, that would look at a startup and, and see it as being attractive. The student, right, seeing it as a first job opportunity, uh, as a way in into the industry, and surprisingly enough, the AAA developer or someone who's been in it for a while and is looking for something, uh, at least more flexible as far as in you know either exercising or uh outside their comfort zone, right? Taking yep. on more responsibilities, learning more. No one can deny that there's <laughs> tremendous growth as a personal artist, programmer, or whatever in a startup because you're wearing multiple hats. Um, the one thing that it always comes down, or at least starts with, you know, it, what kind of expectations, like, uh, as far as benefits, uh, as far as salary, as far as, you know, if you're coming in as a family man, like, what what advice would you give them? Right. So I guess there's a couple of categories um, where I would kind of like classify them into. Like one would be um, time commitments. Um, usually in startups, uh, you have to, it, it might start off a little easy, but towards um, the ship date or 
there are harder times, um, more due to shorter timelines, and because a startup uh, really has lesser cash a lot of times because they're trying to prove themselves on their first game, um, you might have to crunch a bit. Um, second thing is probably financially. Uh, you are taking a risk with a startup, and you know, depending on whether you have a family or uh, other commitments, or like you're trying to save up for a house, like this might be something you wanna you, you wanna know exactly what you're getting into. Um, I know the first two were kind of negative, but um, I'm gonna say something more positive now. Uh, the, this one's uh, more into how much you will learn. Uh, I think you'll learn a lot about game development, how much it costs, uh, how much uh, you know. You'll be much more involved from both the production side. Uh, and the financial side, um, apart from just diving into every aspect of game development, which is great if you're the type of person who wants to learn everything there is. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's how I was, and for me, it was amazing. For uh, you, probably like uh, realize a lot about yourself, which um, you may not in other places where you get a little comfortable. Uh, like I feel like there's a lot that people underestimate that they can achieve. But uh, if you push yourself and you, you're forced to push yourself, um, you can really, you know, be the best version of yourself, which is the best part of uh, this life, I feel. Like, I, I can start, uh, like, just going back <coughs> to what you're saying about, you know, you, you're more, um, things are more transparent about at least how to build a company up, all these different things, because those people are literally right next to you a lot of the times in a smaller yep. company. Yep. And uh, either because, you know, the company can't afford cubicles <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where you're just staring at the person <laughs> right across. Uh, but uh, I feel like, you know, working... Well, technically, working... it's one giant cubicle. <laughs> yeah, one giant cubicle. <laughs> it's usually one uh, room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple other things is, like, you get to uh, to really bond with, the people you're working yeah. with, you spend a lot of time with them, and you know uh, you're making a lot of group decisions with them. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, a lot of some of my really good friends are from these startups because you know uh, they become your friends, and you hang out with them all the time. Like it's a great, uh, it's a great way to make a good relationship with someone. Yeah. So when you're going into a startup situation, uh, what are some things that you do to kind of protect yourself? I guess, because it's a high risk scenario. So not necessarily that everyone can do, but maybe just what are your like, Hey, okay. I make sure that I have a good savings. I make sure that I have, you know, I know the project is going to be X amount of months or years, or (laughs) do you have a couple of like rules that must be met in order for you to feel comfortable about a startup job? Uh, Yeah. I've I've built up a couple of rules uh, over the years. Um, I didn't when I first started out, but I guess that's how it goes. <laughs> um, so uh, one of them is I'm really critical about the people who work in the startup, especially the early founders. Okay. Um, they have to be people who I really like working with, um, who have a, a good sense of, like who are a little more senior and have a good sense of both the financial side of things and uh, the marketing side and have done this a couple of times. Um, the third one is investors. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I prefer to join startups which already have investors, or you know, they have um, uh, they have people who are already interested in their idea. Gotcha. Um, so that, like, you know, right when the game's ready to to be shown, like, you know, they're not worried about like, are people even interested in this? 
like uh, like say someone who had a successful Kickstarter, like that would be a great startup for me uh, personally to to look into. Um, I guess uh, like coming back to the people you work with, like if there's someone who's like um, you know recommended as a really good senior engineer, and I feel like I could learn a lot, like that would be the the best place to learn because you'd be working with them. Uh, so close like you can learn the ins and outs and you can ask them questions like constantly and uh, you know uh, improve as a as a programmer at least I feel that'd be a great place to learn yeah like much in the same way how you know the how when we grew up and now we're chasing graphics and reality and stuff but the youth of today are, are kind of playing back you know the NES pixel games Yep. I feel like in the same way the 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 beginners, the the people that graduate from schools are are kind of looking to startups and we're kind of meeting each other at the beginning and the end of the career. Like a lot of AAA guys are looking for smaller companies now. Yep. Um but uh, just as a word of caution, a lot of people uh right out of school, um they don't really understand uh what they're getting into with startups a lot of yep. times and you know, my advice personally would be like I I did the startup route, and I you know, I guess that my first startup was uh, like you know I took a financial hit because event we had a deal with um, uh, uh, with a company, and you know they paid us halfway, and then at the end of the project when the project was almost done, um, they decided not to pay us, and oh, so man. we had, we had to go on furlough for like uh, almost six to seven months where we we couldn't be. Uh, they couldn't have, the startup couldn't afford to pay their employees every Friday. Yeah. And so, you know, like you, like the people who were running the company, like, I, I guess they were kind of new to it. And so, um, you know, I don't blame them. Like it's just yeah. something that happens like with smaller companies yeah. uh, and you don't have the lawyers to fight something like this. So, yeah. um, you but know, they helped, that, they helped you, uh, make your first role there. <laughs> Yes, and, and you know they actually uh, gave me a you know I, I learned a lot like financially I didn't do that well but I, I thought career wise like uh, as a game programmer uh, I know I, yeah I, I learned a lot so it was worth it for me like yeah. the startup people that I've met uh, <coughs> have always been multifaceted like it's the most talented uh, talented person ever because they they are touching everything. Yep. And so they would come with that experience, even if the the, the startup fail, right? Of course, I, I really do think your list of rules to abide to is really good. Like, if you go in a startup with those rules, I, I feel like you're you're going to come out of it, good or bad, with a, a lot more experience than than the person who who graduate at the same time, let's say, mm-hmm. right? Because you're 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 doing so much. Like every minute, you're kind of learning everyone's job. You're learning like not just that, but how to build a company up. Like those yeah. lessons that you kind of get thrown at once. It's like for for an artist, right? For me, yeah. if I were to go to to a company, mm-hmm. most likely as a junior, I'll be making props. Yep, I'll be making a lot of props. <laughs> but as a startup, right? I might be touching characters. I might even do a little animation. Exactly. I might be even doing all all these different things that I wouldn't have thought I've been doing, but because I have the at least the basic foundation skills, I'm I'm kind of going in ways that I never never figured I would, and I can go out of that experience with so much more than my yeah. my, my counterpart. Yep. And uh, to add to that, like even for people working in bigger companies, like 
you know, I, I would say like make do do a side project, make your own game, like see it through to completion. Like there's a lot you can learn uh, because especially like with a smaller team, like you know, just if you're an artist, just have have a programmer friend or like find a programmer to help you out. Finish a game from start to finish with him, and you learn so much about just game development and how long it takes to do certain things, and yeah. um, you know, which will just make you a better game developer in general. Yeah, you know, I mean, to add on that, like even do small games, just as long as you get from start to finish. That's the biggest yes. thing, right? Yeah, that's, that's the, the hardest part too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I really do feel that that's that's huge right there. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, I guess you've done it. You've completed an hour's podcast. You're the the first person to say they're a fan of the show and then come on and be on the show. So uh, we're very, very thankful for your support, but also all the information that you bestowed on the audience today. And as you already know, when we reach the one hour mark, there's something special that we do for our guests, which is we shut the hell up and we let them talk or promote something that they're working on or excited about. So, Naveen, thank you very much for being on the podcast. The floor is yours. Uh, yeah, um, um, some of the indie games I work on, like I'm hoping to get them out uh, for Indiecade or even IGF uh, by the end of this year. Okay. Uh, so, like one of them's uh, a game called Anti Chess, uh, which is basically uh, it's not a completely new design. Like uh, there have been anti chess games out there, but the aim of the game is um, to kill all your chess pieces off. Okay. Um, and uh, we're hoping to add a couple small design twists and. You know, uh, it's more of a niche market. We're not really going. We're, we're sure it's not going to be that popular. Okay. But it's just a game where a friend of an artist friend of mine and me have played for a while, and we're like, you know what, we should make this. And he was passionate about it, so I signed on. Well, uh, I have an added question to that. Sure. How the hell did you get to indicate? Is there what? What's the process like for that for people who are having something and they want to go through that? surprisingly uh i don't know if i should say this or i'm allowed to say this but i'm actually a judge at indicate what uh, so a surprising story um the first startup i did this this is actually a great way of meeting people uh too is like the first startup i did um i were the guy who ran it uh or like one of the heads was the head of indicate Mm. or the founder of indicate and uh, i showed him um you know while we were doing the startup i was like Hey man, uh, you know I've been working on this small indie game. You want to check it out? And he's like, "Dude, I like this game. You should present it at Indiecade." And uh, so I did. I mean, I, I didn't really finish it uh, at that time, but like, uh, you know, they had like a small uh, five-minute demo of your game, and you can show it to a bunch of people. And uh, so I did that, and he's like, "You know, um, at the end of uh, when the startup shut down." Um, he was like, "Do you want to? Do you want to be a judge? Like, you have a good design sense, and like, you're a programmer. You know a lot of this stuff." So, uh, I'm like, "Sure, I'll start off. Like, don't give me too much because I'm still learning uh, more about game development." But you know, I stuck with it, and uh, I guess this is my fourth year now doing it. And oh, nice. yeah, yeah, uh, dude. Well, <laughs> shout out to Indicate, man. There's yeah stuff that comes through there. Why are you Why are you sitting on golden eggs <laughs> and save it at like the last two seconds? <laughs> I don't know, man. Whatever. Um, so, yeah. So, um, how to submit to Indicate? Like, you just go on their website, and it's a pretty easy submission process. It's naveen at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, I think it's just indicate.com. <laughs> what he re- but, what Brandon really meant to say was you send your submission and application to Naveen at PayPal. Yeah, at oh. paypal.com <laughs> yes. or Venmo. <laughs> Lots of money. No, no. Honestly, so that we don't mess anything up for you. Yeah. No paid uh, endorsements for any indication. None at all. Don't do that. We're just playing around and telling jokes. Just with good work. Unless there's lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, since I'm the closest to the door, I'm going to run out at first. Larry Charles, thanks for listening. Good night. Hey, this is Brandon Pham. Thank you again. Good night. All right. Nice talking to you guys. Take care. Good night.